Welcome into another edition of the Commitment Issues Podcast. We moved our recording schedule up a day with so much big news. Rob Cassidy joining me from lovely Miami. Rob, how's it going today? It's going, man. Uh, there's lots going on in sunny Florida. It's currently storming right now. and I'm sure by the end of this, you'll hear a police car or an ambulance soon by my house. And uh, Nick Kruger, I think he was under tornado watch yesterday in Texas. Did you... Uh, did you make it through? Did you go into the to the tornado shelter or whatever? Well, it just looked it just looked worse than it was. It actually blew right over. The the bigger storm was my return, my glorious return to the soccer field. Played an entire game in my <laughs> men's rec league, and boy, I'm feeling I'm feeling 100 percent, guys. Oh wow, boy! Congratulations. Uh, my so- my short lived soccer career over uh, now that you don't live in Atlanta anymore because I uh, I don't have any friends and I'm really bad at soccer. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's. Let's let's roll. Let's uh, we wanted to to do our typical plugs at the top of the show here. Reminders: subscribe on iTunes uh, or any other you know podcast listening uh, platform that you might use. You can uh, contact us at Rivals Podcast and uh, send us an email: rivalspodcast at yahoo dot com. We're more than happy to uh, interact, answer questions on the air, things of that nature. Uh, and of course, we all have our personal twitters. You can figure them out. Uh, from there, it's not, it's not that big of a deal on that front. Uh, let's get right into this week's top five. The number one topic yesterday, we were all enjoying a nice Sunday afternoon when uh, news came down of, of Les Miles, LSU coach, getting fired. Also on the way out, his offensive coordinator, Cam Cameron. Uh, this was something that we think had been coming for a while, but I don't know. It was a bit surprising, so I kind of want to weigh in. Rob, we can start with you. What did you think of the timing of this and and kind of the rationale behind uh, the move. Do you think it was the right move? The timing of this, first of all, was terrible because it caused me to burn the ribs that I was kicking because I forgot about them while I was rushing to contact people and figure out what was happening. Um, you know, I think it had to happen. The timing is a little odd, but, you know, as somebody very close to both of us said, you know, timing is time. And it's, it's you know, you'd think that they would have done this last year because they did kind of hamstring him by coming out and, essentially trying to fire him last year, right? And then kind of, you know, reneging on that and, and taking it back. Uh, so he wasn't stable at all. I mean, everybody knew this was a possibility this season. Um, so, you know, now you got to get, I mean, I can see why they feel like they need to get rid of him now because they don't want, you know, that uncertainty to loom over the program and, and affect recruiting. But now that you have an interim in and you've got Ed Orgeron taking over, who has kind of become, you know, Mr. Interim Head Coach, it's going to be hard to recruit that way too. Like, you know, I don't know if the team's going to get any better this season, but how do you sell recruits, Nick Kruger, on a program that doesn't have a coach in place? Say, hey, come play for LSU and you can play for some somebody next year. I mean, that's not a very strong pitch, is it? No, and that's just, that was my initial thought too when I heard the news. I was wondering, you know, if you're going to fire less and you're going to fire Cam Cameron, certainly uh, Cameron would be the most understandable. If you were to fire one or two of them, Right now, you would it would make more sense to me to fire Cameron in the short term, leave less uh, in the driver's seat for the rest of the season, secure the commitments that they. I mean, they have a they have a top five recruiting class right now per per our rankings. Uh, get those guys uh, to get those letters of intent in, then fire Miles ahead of training camp with the new coach in place with all those guys on the team, on the team and get going into next season. I mean, I, I think as it stands right now, it is it is a a curious situation. I I think. I, I suppose in the short term, Ed Orgeron is the right move to put in as an interim head coach because we all know his acumen when it comes to recruiting and maybe securing some of those relationships with guys that uh, are a little unsteady with their commitment at this point going forward. But right, I mean, I mean, it's it's 
definitely a question as to, you know, who's going to be leading the team next season and how do you uh, sort of position yourself as a program to make sure that, you know, guys going forward, you know, not not just you know, uh, coming in next year, but already on the team, you know, how, how do you sell them on the fact that there's there's security in the program there? And certainly there's already a, a, a dandy short list of coaching candidates to fill in uh, for less, you know, that or, or top top level coaching uh, options, but it's st- until somebody's hired, who's it going to be? You know. Well, I, yeah, I think they definitely botched the timing of this. I mean, if you wanted to do it last year, just do it last year. Why did you have to? I mean, if you thought it was the right move, then you should make the move. I remember, you know, thinking of some other coaches who got off to a slow start, and it's like, well, you know, he'll probably be fired in two or three years. Well, it's like if you know he's going to be fired, just fire him now. Like, I, I you know, what's the what's the thinking there? Because because now the situation we're going to have is you know, it's going to be a holding pattern. And we saw Florida's recruiting really suffered uh, under Will Muschamp the last year when he was kind of a lame duck. So I so I understand they didn't want less miles in that situation. But now you've given these other schools, I don't know how, how many months, two, two or two and a half, three months to kind of circle in and target your guys. So uh, I think it's going to be key because of this transition, the way it's going they're going to have to, the new coach that comes in is going to have to keep some of these key assistant coaches. Maybe it is Orgeron, you know, a guy like Corey Raymond, the DB's coach that, that everybody loves so much. Austin Thomas, the director of player personnel. I think some of those guys are going to have to stay. So then you, then you run into the problem of, okay, a new coach is coming in. Do you let him clean house and bring in all his guys and sacrifice an entire recruiting class? Or, uh, you know, do, do you just kind of keep some of these guys and hope that they gel together under the new staff. Well, that, that really depends on who they get, right? Like they'd be happy to have, if they somehow pulled out the way of giving Jimbo Fisher, I mean, they'd be happy to have some of those guys, right? But you know, if they hire Tom Herman, I mean, nobody wants, I mean, he's got some guys there, but they're, they're not all LSU level players, right? I mean, they're not going to want that class. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I mean, yeah, if, if, if uh, like, for example, when James Franklin went to, to Penn State, you know, he picked some of Vanderbilt's best recruits and took them with him, but uh, I don't know. I think I think this is going to be one of those things where you almost have a lost class. Uh, kids in Louisiana are super loyal to LSU no matter what, so I wouldn't be surprised to see most of them stick around. But, you know, as we were looking over the class yesterday, Nick, I think there's seven, eight players from Texas. Uh, you know, there's a few guys at IMG who are from Texas who are committed. What What is their loyalty to LSU, especially – you know, if, if Texas A&M makes a run to the college football playoff or something like that and, and has the recruiting momentum, why would some of these guys stick around knowing that, you know, that they're not from Louisiana? You know, they just happen to commit to, to, commit to Les Miles and maybe his assistant coaches. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. I mean, I you know, last night when we were trying to round up uh, opinions from uh, from kids that are committed, you know, I talked to uh, Edward Ingram, a, a lineman from DeSoto, he said that he has no plans on changing his commitment in the short term. Has no idea as to whether or not he wants to to take official. Vi- I mean, all all this, all these kids are going to say the same thing at this point because it's all news to them, and they don't. You know, nobody has a nobody has a, a plan, a cause and effect plan. If they're you know essentially if their future employer <laughs> uh, gets gets the can ahead of them, you know, being hired to play for that team. So I don't think a lot of these kids right right from the jump are going to have a, an immediate feel for like, oh, well, LSU is out of the picture now. Uh, I've been committed for two months. I'm just going to go to plan B. Um, you know, I think I, I think Austin Deculus, when he committed, I mean, he was a, he was as sure sounding of an LSU commit as 
uh, as anybody could have been, said that he had been a, a you know a fan of the a fan of the team since he was a kid and felt like it was a a family scenario, for, you know, from his first visit on campus and. Uh, you know, same thing with Kerry Vincent said that he couldn't imagine playing for uh, anybody other than LSU. Uh, you know, I think I think maybe a guy like Manny Netherly, who has already flipped from Texas A&M to LSU, is maybe another guy is is a guy that's maybe on watch to flip again uh, because you know he had some flirtations with Alabama and certainly Texas A&M has still been recruiting him. So uh, you know, there's that's that's maybe the most likely guy to flip in the in the short term that I can think of from Texas, but. Uh, afterward, I mean, we're just going to have to start seeing where kids start taking some official visits here thereafter. Yeah, so so it's going to be it's going to be a long story short. It's going to be a long fall for us as we uh, now have to track a lot of this stuff. There's going to be a ton of movement. Um, I guess we should then now talk. We can kind of transition into uh, well, you know, first actually let's let's take a look at the old hot board on our LSU rival site, uh, which you could find at lsu.rivals.com. They got a they got the old coaching board up. We'll go over some of the candidates here. The number one guy they have on the board here. Oh, actually, no, never mind. They're in alphabetical order, which makes sense. <laughs> uh, they have Larry Fedora, Jimbo Fisher, Tom Herman, uh, Ed Orgeron, who's going to be the interim, Gary Patterson, Chris Peterson. That's not that's that's not happening. <laughs> Bobby <laughs> yeah. Petrino, uh, David Shaw. No. Uh, so there's a few. There's a, half the Pac-12 seems to be on this list for some reason. Well, um, but Dave Shaw's not happening. Right Chris Peterson's not happening. Uh, Bobby Petrino's not happening. Uh, Fedora is a wild card. You know, it's basically Jimbo Fisher. Everyone thinks Jimbo Fisher and Tom Herman. Well, the, but the I common, see Fedora. The common theme here between all these coaches here is you know high high powered passing offenses, which is like all we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks is how you know they they LSU recruits so well offensively gets great great wide receivers uh could do better at quarterback but definitely doesn't make the most with the pieces that they have and what you know it, wouldn't you guys say that's the comp oh ed orgeron aside because he's already on staff there but i mean you know look at the rest of the list it's all it's all big time power passing offenses well maybe well our, our boy our boy at tcu gary patterson is a defensive guy and that's a name i hadn't ever thought of but boy if you're him wouldn't you want to get the heck out of the big 12 i'd like to get out of there yeah, but we've watched TCU play this. You can say he's a defensive coach all you, all you want. <laughs> yeah, North or South Dakota State has other. No, but I mean that's that's, that's, how, that's what I'm saying is that's how he made his hallmark, right? I mean that's the reason people right. that he got yeah. that's the reason he got that job. That's the reason he is famous for having that job. But, but, is because right. he's he's had those defenses. Yeah, and he was willing to adapt, and that's what we've seen him change his offensive philosophy as they've been able to get better players in there. I just don't know. I mean, I know last year we thought Jimbo Fisher, you know, that was the word that he was already going to take the job. Why Why would he leave Florida State for LSU? I don't, no offense to LSU, but I just think he's in a great situation there. People love him at Florida State. He's already won a national championship there. They're going to be in the mix every year because of the conference. I just, personally, if I'm a coach, I don't know why I would leave a situation like that to go play and or coach in the SEC West unless it's just a financial decision. And I don't see why. Florida State couldn't match, you know, the money there. No, I don't, I don't either. Like, I, I said that from the beginning when everybody was convinced that, like, there's, you know, there's all, all those, like, silly message board rumors. It's like, you know, they had a deal with Jimbo in place last year and then less one. I'm like, well, that is the furthest thing from true that I've ever heard. Um, it, it doesn't make sense to me unless it is, like you said, a giant raise because money talks, man. But I, 
Florida State's got money. It's not like Florida State is Western Michigan. All right, so you know, boy, shots fired. I, I, you know, guess what? I, I had a great time in Kalamazoo. Well, Western so, Michigan's uh, fine, but it doesn't mean their <laughs> athletic department has money. They, they don't. I think everybody will tell you that. Um. Yeah. Uh, so if we had to make a pick today. Who's the smart money on in this group? Is it Herman? I mean, what he makes a lot of money too at Houston, and he's got a and it's you know he. I think if they if they go undefeated this year, they might have a shot at the playoff as well. So so do we think Herman is the smart choice? Who's the odds-on favorite here? I think it's Herman. Nick, what do you think? Uh, I mean, we've we've talked we've talked about Herman. Everybody, every coaching job that comes open, Herman is the is the and Woody. I mean, you've essentially over the past couple of weeks talked me into Herman staying at Houston no matter what. I would go if I'm if I'm Gary Patterson, I I make the switch if they reach out to me because I think his I think his team I think he expected coming into this season for his team to be in a, in better shape than it is, and I think that all their commits in this class right now are like it's not it's not the same feeling of of uh, firm commitments going forward coming out of this class. If I'm him and LSU's offering me money and a job in the SEC, I'm I'm jumping ship immediately. And you don't even have to change clothes, really, right? And you can keep all the purple you have. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's a different hue. Uh, although, although LSU did wear those mustard yellow whatever jerseys those were last week and called them gold, so... Uh, you never know how they're, how they're, what the color palette's like over there. We, we, I think, you know, we can kind of talk, touch on this briefly, you know, which schools we think are going to benefit from this uncertainty. I think, you know, you can basically take a look at a map, right. And assume, you know, the schools in Mississippi, uh, Alabama always does well in Louisiana, even going head to head with LSU, uh, you know, maybe Arkansas, they're, they're trying to recruit that state and they have nabbed a few guys out of there and of course the schools in texas i i personally think the door's open now officially you know we talked about how texas is back texas is not back uh, i think they have a chance to nab a few of these guys from the state of texas if they play their cards right nick do you do you think that's that they're in the catbird seat here or do you think it's a matter of you know spreading the wealth yeah there's definitely an opportunity for that i mean carrie vincent was a guy that already had uh i think plans to uh take a trip to uh take a visit to texas you know we've always talked about how they like to close late they didn't change the game plan this year uh you know i think we're just gonna you know we're gonna have to wait and see uh read the tea leaves as as things continue to play out but you know i i texas definitely has a feeling of you know we'll get who we want you know we're just going to do it at our own pace and it doesn't matter if they're committed to somebody else no matter what yeah boy the uh I don't know. It's it's a crazy situation. I think I did. I think I am the IMG situation is a wild card. Several players from Louisiana and Texas that are looking hard or committed to LSU out at IMG that may open the door for a school like Florida or some of those schools to to maybe make their pitch as well. Um, all right, enough LSU talk. Let's let's go back to uh, you know making fun of some some other people. <laughs> um, USC. What is going on? I mean, there's all kinds of crazy news coming out of there. Uh, you know, different things are happening. EJ Price leaves the school. He was a Rivals 250 offensive lineman. I know uh, not one of my favorite recruits of all time to cover, I would say, if we were, uh, you know, basing it on interactions. Um, we No clue on where he's going to go. You know, of course, all the schools in the SEC think he's going to come back there. I personally think he's probably going to have to go to JUCO just because of the academic situation of leaving mid-semester and things like that. Um, is this what you know? Was it, obviously, we're all looking at this from a distance, but I mean, Rob, what do you think? I mean, 
are we headed for a disaster at, at USC because of the way things are breaking this season, both on the field and all these locker room problems we're hearing about off the field? I mean, aren't we kind of like in the thick of a disaster at USC? I don't know if headed there is the right word. I mean, this has been kind of like a four-year-long odyssey of disaster. Um, yeah, I think definitely. I think if they'll smart, they'll make a coaching change. And not because Tom Herman's a bad coach. I, I don't think he is. They've got to distance themselves from this Carroll coaching tree, right? I mean, it's one disaster after disaster. The team, it seems like he's lost the team. Or there are reports coming out of there where there's infighting. Uh, did somebody push the coach? Did somebody not push the coach? You can have all these distractions and win, and that's fine. But if you're losing in a media market like Los Angeles and all of this is happening, oh, man, it's just going to compound itself. And I think one of the reasons Lane Kiffin failed there is because he wasn't ready to deal with everything that comes with being the head coach of USC in Los Angeles. Uh, all the attention that comes with that. You have to manage so many other things besides just X's and O's. Uh, and I think Clay Helton's, Helton's feeling feeling that pressure right now. And If they can't find a way to, to rattle off some impressive wins and close the season, I don't, know, I don't know how long he is for that USC world. Well, and, and you know, we heard you know, EJ Price transferred, and then we're also hearing Chuma Doga, uh, you know, a guy that we all dealt with quite a bit back in his high school days. He's thinking about transferring. He didn't play this week after he missed practice with – what they were calling a stomach bug, a stomach virus, which uh, I think is obviously dubious timing considering. Uh, then there's also rumors about, you know, Keyshawn Pai Young maybe wanting out of there. Jamel Cook uh, also thinking about leaving another Florida kid. Robbie, have you heard anything on those guys? I mean, is it possible that it's, there's a mass exodus of all these Southeast players leaving USC together? Yeah, I mean, I, I would... If you know anything about Southeast players, you know nothing's impossible. Um, I hadn't talked to Jamel. <laughs> I haven't talked to Jamel or, or Pi about it, but I've heard those same rumors you have from probably the same person, I think. Um, it's, yeah, there's <laughs> there, there's definitely a possibility that those two are gone. Uh, I, I think that being that far away from home and then having all of this happen, especially if half of the things we've heard going on behind the scenes in that locker room are true, uh, makes for kind of a volatile situation where, where you maybe want to get out of there. And, you know, I can definitely see it. Like I said, I've not spoken to either of them, but it would not surprise me. Not to cast aspersions or, or say anything too critical of people that I'm not very familiar with, but if uh, we're four games into a, into a season and a lot of these guys, it's their first experience playing college football and things don't go quite so well in the first four games and they all want to cut and run. I mean, don't you think that sort of character makeup might have something to do with <laughs> the success level to start with to begin with, you know? Sure. I don't know that it's so much just the losing as much as it is. If everything is to be believed that it just does not sound like a very good college situation for anybody, right? Like, I mean, if there's all, really all this infighting and, you know, you read reports of fights on an airplane and, people being shoved behind the scenes and possibly somebody pushing the coach. I, I mean, I want to get the heck out of there too. I got news for you guys. We both, you know, everybody knows how quickly uh, a team can live or die by the success of its quarterback. But I think, uh, I think Max Brown goes down as a miss <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you th- oh, you think? <laughs> I, I think, at, I think at this point, I think at this point, you know, I mean, it, it, it took them so long to get on the field to begin with. And now, you know, and now with this chance, I mean, they, that offense just did not, get the wheels turned and you know with him under the helm there and it might be because of the coaching but yeah sorry sorry max i mean you know if you want to take a look at the state of washington quarterbacks over the past you know five to seven years there's some major hits and some major misses in terms of guys who are ranked uh super high 
and and guys who you know panned out. Jacob Eason looking good. Obviously, excuse me, I burped there. Uh, <laughs> obviously, uh, <laughs> Jake Browning, uh, the quarterback at Washington, looks good. But boy, there's been some big time misses as well uh, with some of the guys coming through there. Um, if if you know, I'm with you guys, I think. If, I think if I'm USC, you know, you just got to ride out the year and you got to, it's time to clean house completely. You're going to, you need to rebuild. There's no question. We've seen them get good recruits. They have good players on their team. I think there's a definite attitude problem. You're going to have to switch, you know, to one of these guys. It's, it's, it's a classic NBA situation where we see where you have a a nice guy come in and eventually the players kind of overrun him. And then you got to bring in, you know, a Scott Skiles type who's more of a disciplinarian. And then when they get tired of him after a few years, switch it up again, you know? So it's just, it's just amazing that that this is where USC is. Like you said, stuck on the Pete Carroll coaching tree, you know, considering that they're USC and they, you know, in in my opinion, they have the money, they have the resources to go out and, and pursue uh, whatever coach they want. But I think, this is this bodes well for a lot of schools around the country who like to recruit the Los Angeles area, especially schools in the Pac-12 that may be able to take advantage of this uh, and and swoop in and grab some of these players as well. So, so who's the disciplinarian uh, we think they need? Is it like you know R. Lee Avery from Full Metal Jacket, or I mean, who <laughs> who do they bring in? Well, it's so interesting when you look at at the guys they've had. I mean, you know, Helton, Sark, Kiffin. You know, Coach Orgeron was a hit there. Remember that? I remember what Rob Cassidy was on the bandwagon of they need to keep him, if you recall. But that did not happen. What if he what if he does well at LSU? Could he could he get could we stay on the Kiffin tree or the uh Carroll tree and get him in the mix as well? Get him a gig? Yeah, I think that he works there. Um, you know, he's maybe the exception to the rule. Uh, I'd love to see him there. I think that I don't want to say he got a raw deal because he didn't. He obviously had a very rough go at Ole Miss as a head coach. But I think he's proven now that he's a capable coach. And if you put him in a situation where factors allow him to succeed, uh, and I think people would love him. And people obviously do think fondly of him at USC already, right? So his approval rating is already, you know, on an upward trajectory. So if you put him in place there, you don't have to sell it as much, I don't think. I think that I think that, that would be a solid hire for them. So, so we'll be watching that close as we continue to move along. One coach that uh, is not on the hot seat in any way, shape, or form after his team finally beat Florida, uh, Butch Jones in Tennessee, big win for them. I don't know, you know, I don't know what happened. I think Rob and I were both in the same situation where we left to go do something else at halftime, and when we looked at the score again, uh, <laughs> something happened, and Tennessee won. I assume uh, they played well. I heard Derek Barnett had a good game. I heard that. You know, our friend of the show, Josh Malone, continues to to look like one of Tennessee's best players, one of the best receivers in the SEC. My question is, you know, we t- we spoke about them again about them last week and their out of state recruiting. You know, they've been recruiting Florida, Rob. They've been dipping in. They got a couple. I think they got a four star. Uh, of course, you know, Tyler Bird was a top one hundred guy that they got out of Naples last year. He made a couple big plays in that game. You know, with with Larry Scott on the staff there, do you, do you see them being in a situation where okay, they beat Florida here, maybe they, they you know they win ten games, where they can go get some of the absolute top guys in Florida? We hear them mentioned a lot, but that you know, can you see them making a push for some of the top talent, like you know, stealing guys from Florida, Florida State, Miami? I think that there are levels to this, as a great man once said. I I don't know that they're ready in any shape or form to get the top top guys. You know, they're not going to go in there and get you know the number one recruit in the country out of Florida. Uh, those top guys, those five stars and top four star guys are probably still a ways away from them. But right now they're getting like, you know, they're dipping into that second level, like a Tyler Bird 
and a third level like you know other guys they got there uh, last year. I think that they can see themselves move up here. I mean, you've beaten Florida now. Uh, now the perception of your program, should you close out the season the way people expect it to close out the season, is all right, this program just took the next step on the field. And usually when you take the next step on the field, that recruiting step kind of follows in suit. Uh, so, yeah, I think definitely. I think you'll see guys that considered them last year maybe thinking of them a little bit differently uh, now. And I, and I think it's the same situation in Georgia. I think we, you know, we talked off the air. We all expect them to, to go into Georgia this weekend and, and get a victory uh, just based on how Georgia looked last week. Um, if they win that game, now all of a sudden you've, you, you've, you've knocked two things off. You've, you've got the Florida victory, and then you've got, you know, the big win against Georgia, which can help you in Atlanta. So, you know, I think, I think they have the momentum right now. But like you said, you know, this can all change. You know, they had, they still have to play Texas A&M and Alabama in this stretch. And we've seen some other teams like Missouri surprisingly look good. The, the key for them is going to be, you know, maintaining this. Uh, the momentum you have this week can, can go out the window in a hurry, as we saw, you know, with some other programs already this season. So uh, I think that's something we're going to continue to watch. You know, obviously it's big for them to break that streak. They can kind of sell that, you know, hey, we, we're on the right track. Uh, you know, we're moving things in the right direction. So it's going to be, it, it would be really tough for them to, I, I, I think they're really going to have to pick and choose where they go in, in Florida if all things continue with the current trends that we're seeing. Obviously, uh, Louisville is a play, is a, has been the team. I mean, look at, look at Lamar Jackson, right? I mean, he was a guy that was just begging for a Miami offer, right? If I recall, or some, some other Florida schools. Louisville goes in and picks him up and kind of lives in that tier of, uh, caliber of players that Rob was just referencing. And if Tennessee tries, you know, we just talked a couple of weeks ago about how much Tennessee is recruiting outside of their own state. If they want to make Florida a target, certainly a win against the Gators helps. But when you're competing against, you know, Louisville, who's clearly got an upward uh, trajectory, you know, for that that same level of player for kids that aren't considering the, the top big three schools and Clemson, another school uh, that kind of lives in that that neighborhood, too, as far as Florida recruiting goes, you know, that'd really be a tough nut to crack for them for for Tennessee, I think. I think a successful Tennessee can, though, just because of the SEC allure, right? Like, a good Tennessee is always going to be more attractive to Florida kids than a good Louisville because of the SEC, right? Now, the ACC is maybe up a little bit now compared to five years ago, but it's still not. It's probably better top to bottom right now this year, but, you know, kind of the allure and and the prestige and, you know, everything that goes along with the SEC is still a draw. And I think, you know, all things considered, people are going to see Tennessee uh, with the history and the conference affiliation as a more premier program, uh, rightly or wrongly, than Louisville. I think what it comes down to is whoever has the better hashtag for their recruiting class. I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's key. Uh, well, I really enjoy the Clemson Tennessee recruiting rivalry. Uh, for some reason, I enjoy that the coaches going head to head as as each of them kind of snark on the other ones behind the scenes, which I which I enjoy quite a bit. Uh, and then also the fans and and the players. I mean, everyone loves to talk back and forth, and you know I'm all about the the trash talk. So hopefully that carries over to Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, and we'll, you know I want to see them go head to head on all on all fronts. Um, another quick coaching news that kind of slid under the radar: Notre Dame fired their defensive coordinator Brian Van Gorder yesterday. Uh, yesterday being Sunday, and that was appeared to be the news of the day until Les Miles happened. Um, you know, I, it was interesting. I've talked to a few players who visited up there this year, and I actually, surprisingly, one of them told me, you know, the, the current players maybe are not the biggest fan of, of Van Gorder, which, you know, you, you really hear from players after these visits who, who, who tell you, um, 
you know, oh, well, you know, the players told me how much they love the coaches, blah, blah, blah. He, he, uh, you know, we didn't get that kind of feedback. So they, obviously they've been playing bad. Van Gorder's out. And now, you know, we spoke of this last week. They got a four-star defensive tackle commit, you know, shortly after losing that game. They lose again this week. They lose Van Gorder. I'm beginning to think that, you know, this is going to have a recruiting impact, especially if, if we have to wait for some guys. <laughs> Rob, they recruit Florida. Are they in on any big guys this year? I mean, they, they seem to be doing well up in the mid-Atlantic, but what, you know, what's the perception, I guess, of Notre Dame down there? They're not going to get anybody you know, show-stopping at Florida this year, and they never were. Um, I don't think that there's, you know, any of the uncommitted guys in the way. I don't think Jerez Parks is going to go to Notre Dame. Uh, plus, you know, it's kind of funny to watch them battle old rival Michigan because they seem to be doing that in Florida, right? So they have the on-field rivalry, and now it seems like a lot of those guys that maybe would have went to Notre Dame out of Florida are now going to Michigan instead. I mean, they're Michigan's really doing well down here. Notre Dame, while they do have some guys out of the state, they're not getting anywhere near the top targets that they set in the state. It just isn't happening for them right now. Uh, and this may, you know, set them back even further down here. In order to recruit Florida, if you're going to be a Big Ten school, you have got to be uh, seen as one of these programs with an upward trajectory and, you know, a larger-than-life prestige thing, right? And, you know, Notre Dame used to be Notre Dame, and that was the whole alert to drag people out of Florida to go to that school up in the upper Midwest. Uh, if they're not winning and they're not seen as a prestigious football institution, uh, they'll always be seen as a prestigious academic institution. I think these are two separate worlds. Uh, then what do they have, really? Especially if they're going against Michigan, who now has kind of established itself as if you're going to leave South Florida and go to the Midwest, that's where you're going, right? Harbaugh has become Mr. Florida at this point. Yeah, he has done a good job. And, you know, Van Gorder was one of the guys who really tied people into uh, into Georgia as well because he had success at Georgia. He knew a lot of the high school coaches down here and was one of the reasons that they were trying to recruit this area, they, they kind of, you know, haven't had much luck. I mean, I and same with Tennessee. They've, they've dipped into there. You know, they, they managed to get uh, Dante Vaughn, a safety out of Memphis. But, you know, there's middling results. At your school, like Notre Dame, there's just there's a certain type of player. You can almost identify them, you know, from, from our perspective on who, who Notre Dame will have a shot at. And they, they've struck out more than a few times over the past few years. Nick, they're also recruiting Texas. You know, is just a situation where, like, like you said, Notre Dame's going to have to take the second tier guy, and they may not be able to go head to head on some of these, you know, five star guys, top one hundred guys. Listen, my my feel on Notre Dame is not one of much positivity at this point, and I I think they've kind of been stagnant under Brian Kelly. I mean, you know, they've always it's in one of those programs now that's always just been sort of good enough and they've always got a major opportunity every season uh inherently playing a playing a essentially a completely independent schedule uh football wise to you know to always put themselves in the conversation and then they just never you know truly make good on it there's always i i think the last defensive coordinator they had too really butted heads with a lot of the players and and obviously we've seen brian kelly lose his cool a million times over so you know the whole vibe out there is is it's really, I mean, you're really attracting a very specific sort of player and they don't even, um, you know, any conversation that I've had with any, any recruits here in Texas, you know, they, they definitely just play up the fact that, Hey, Notre Dame is his brand, you know, in of itself. And, uh, and, and you just want to be, you know, you just want to be one of those players to put on the gold helmet, you know, and go out there and, and represent a, a school with some, some history and some prestige. And, uh, you know, if, if, to your point, when you can identify kids early in the process, 
by whether or not you feel that they value that sort of thing, you know, in their in their recruitment, uh, that makes things easier to look at. But but I mean, right now, it seems like things are their their reach is is contracting more so than expanding. And you know, when you compare it to Harbaugh, I mean, how many satellite camps did Brian Kelly do this off season? I can't think of it. Yeah. <laughs> I got him. You got him on that one. <laughs> Uh, I agree. I agree with both you guys. That's a good comparison comparing Michigan and Notre Dame. I'm sure our Notre Dame fans will love this uh, conversation. Normally at this point in the show, we uh, transition to an interview, but this week, because we're recording on Monday, we're going to release an interview later in the week as a standalone episode. So be on the lookout for that, a potential Another head coach. Big name guest. We've become the, yeah. we've become the de facto podcast for head coaches, right? You know, we've had the three SEC guys. Uh, we're now dipped into the Pac-12. If everything goes well, we'll be in the Big Ten this week. Really, we need a Big Twelve guy on the show to complete the slam, right? Yeah, it's it's tough to it's really tough to pull them off in season two. Hopefully, you know this off season will be a steady a steady flow. We need to get some players on here too. I think it's just uh, it takes a, a certain kind of player to get them in this situation. But we'll we'll keep it coming. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, now, time for the tweet of the week. We didn't really have any no no hilarious. Uh, candidates this week i was surprised that you know not not a lot of kids said anything that we could make fun of no uh no uh, corporate restaurant references are allowed on the show so we couldn't do any of those tweets this week so we just we decided to uh pick bruce feldman who uh hosts a podcast that i listen to on the regular uh, you know, he, he tweets, word is LSU made the move now because there was a feeling Les Miles might temporarily save his job again and program would keep going in circles. So, boy, kind of kind of shots fired, right? Yeah, but also here's my question. Like, all right, so if you deconstruct that tweet and we take it to be true, and Bruce is always very accurate, so I, he does not make up things. So I suppose that he at least heard this from somebody. It is saying that the person that makes this decision what temporarily save his job again? What don't you make that decision? Like, I mean, you can fire him no matter what. There's nothing in the contract that says if he wins the next game, you have to keep him. But the logic of he might temporarily save his job again was feared. Well, was it feared by the people making these decisions because they could fire him after he beat Alabama if they want to? I mean, that's that's their decision. Well, it, yeah, and I think I think what they I think you know assuming that. It's weird because it, that that makes it seem like that person was almost rooting for them to have a bad season. Right? So, <laughs> yeah, I so, know. So, so if they finish ten and two, they would be unhappy, you know. So, I, like I said, I think this all goes back to last year, and that's the reason. So, I, there was a funny, <laughs> there was a funny tweet from Kirk Herbstreit I was trying to find that came out yesterday. It wasn't really related to. Uh, I think he might have deleted it actually. Um, he got, he, oh, no, it's still here. <laughs> it was during the Tennessee Titans uh, game yesterday against the Oakland Raiders, uh, which, you know, I was paying attention to a little bit. Tennessee had drove down to the to the four-yard line, was about to tie the game, and uh, offensive lineman Taylor Lewan came flying in and, and tried to hit somebody and got a personal foul, and it went from being first and goal to being, you know, uh, you know, all the way back out to the 19-yard line. And Kirk Herbstreet, who lives in Tennessee now, tweeted, you're an absolute fraud, bro. And he, at, and he mentioned Taylor Lewan and then used the hashtags, hashtag fake tough guy, hashtag loafer, hashtag try to hustle, hashtag I see you walking off the field, hashtag fraud, hashtag pathetic. 
We got we got we got to think about the hashtags here, Kirk. That's a lot of hashtags. Talk about shots fired. I re- I think he really, uh, boy, he really went at him. I didn't, you know, it got retweeted a thousand times. I don't know if we got a response from Taylor, um, but I, yeah, boy, I, I really, <laughs> I really, I really enjoyed that. I think that he, th- I think that he threw the word bro in there because it goes so well with just this aesthetic, right? Like he just looks like the kind of guy that would use the word bro. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> That's funny. It was a funny. It was a funny tweet from from all I could see. So uh, we move on now. We uh, we're not going to have the rants and recommendations uh, this week. Instead, let's move on to the game of the week. I accidentally skipped that on the uh, rundown last week. We had Texas A and M and Arkansas, and both of you uh, jabronis happened to take Arkansas plus six. Guess what? Whatever gigum, <laughs> which is <laughs> I don't even know what guess, that means. Guess what, Nick and Rob? You've been gigged. Uh, it means stabbing. <laughs> yeah, a, it actually means stabbing a frog. Uh, so, like, it, it, its origins are with the TCU rivalry, right? So, gigum, like gigging frogs, means stabbing frogs, like live frogs on sticks. And so, gigging them is basically murdering frogs. That's what that is. Wow. Yeah. Well, guess what? We, I gigged you guys. Uh, <laughs> you did. <laughs> Last week, uh, as I picked the Aggies, they easily covered, and that moves us all to two and one on the season. So, yeah, congratulations! Um, you have the same record as me and Rob now. Great job! Yeah, well, it's all about momentum. <laughs> yeah. It's all about uh, who gigs who at the end of the season, right? We should bet something on this. We don't want to announce a prize uh, without getting it cleared. So, uh, this week we have Clemson and Louisville. Boy, what a game! Clemson hosting Louisville. The Tigers a two point favorite. So really, not getting a whole lot of respect for being a team that you know was uh, in the national championship last year. They've been a little slow to start the year. What do we think? How is this going to shake out? Rob, we'll start with you. Would you take uh, the Cardinals to pull the upset on the road? I will not. I will take Clemson to gig Louisville for sure uh, and the two points. So They're going to gig them. Uh, Nick, what do you think? Man, this is tough because I really haven't watched – enough of either team so far this year so I'm just kind of going into this blindly I'm I'm gonna say Louisville as well just because I feel like you know I'm just going based on the kind of the slow relative slow start of Clemson the first no I took Clemson I, I I'm team Clemson here so you and I are on different ends for the first time this season boy nice of you guys not to, to link up your picks so so you know, Nick flying blind I boy I don't know you know, it's it's tough to go in there and play in Clemson, but Lamar Jackson, you know, I, I mean, he doesn't really care what's going on, as as we remember from interacting with him at several times. He's uh, the definition of even keel. I think, well, you know what? Forget it. I'm taking Clemson at home. I I I, I just can't. Uh, you can't, can't bet against, against, against your Watson. boy Deshaun BFFs. Yeah, I love Deshaun Watson. Uh, so. He's going to be my pick. We'll we'll pick him, and then we'll see what happens. So we got we got a couple different picks. Uh, Nick going out on a limb to pick the Tigers. So that wraps up this week's no, episode. Picked, no, Nick picked Louisville. You guys picked this. So this is a big opportunity for me to take a take a lead here between the three of us. Okay, I can't remember what's going on. Somebody needs to get you. Show. <laughs> I'm I'm gigged. I I got I I got gigged by this headache I have right now. So. Uh, I kept it together for 45 minutes. That's the best I could do. Uh, that wraps up uh, this week's episode. Uh, you know, reminder, reach out to us. Let us know what you want, what you want to hear, guests you want to hear, questions you have at Rivals Podcast uh, or RivalsPodcast.Yahoo.com. And, of course, iTunes, reviews, subscriptions. We want to thank our boy, M. Deuce, for producing the music that you hear every week. You can find him on SoundCloud 
soundcloud.com slash m dash deuce we thank you for listening and uh, be sure to join us again for a new episode next week 